Okay, take your Bible this morning and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter number 8. Matthew and chapter number 8. So we stand in honor of God's Word here this morning, Matthew and chapter number 8. And uh, some of our effort today is going to be right in line with Take and Aim Sunday about ministry involvement. And even today, if, uh, if you don't sign up for ministry, I hope that you might even just stop by and pick up one of the, the forms there. Make a great prayer list to pray for all the ministries. Uh, biblical Christianity is not a spectator sport. Okay, Maybe you watched a ball game yesterday and you were involved just by watching, but it's different when you're on the field. All right. God didn't save you just to watch others serve God. God saved you to serve Him. And so um, pray that you look at that that way. And uh, we are not called, uh, we're called to, to be the church that is here at 54th and Blackwelder, you know, and that's a, that's a verb we assemble uh, together and, and do ministry together. So it's a real blessing. Okay, let me direct your attention. That'll be right in line with what we're going to consider here this morning. Matthew chapter 8. Verse 18, Matthew 8, verse 18. Now, when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave commandment to depart unto what? The other side, All right? He, he gave commandment to depart to the other side. So here's what happened. And a certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus saith unto him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. You still want to sign up? <laughs> and another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said unto him, follow me and let the dead bury their dead. Now we need to understand that, don't we? Was he being insensitive? We're talking about our Savior here. He wasn't being insensitive. And when he entered into a ship, his disciples followed him and behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves. Notice this, <clears throat> but he was asleep. <laughs> and his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the wind, winds and the sea obey him? And we're going to keep reading here, because he said, let's go to the other side, and he had a purpose in mind. And when he was come to the other side, into the country of the Gergesenes, 
There met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce, the Bible says, exceeding fierce so that no man might pass by that way. Behold, they cried out saying, what have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of God? Art thou come to torment us before the time? They knew more theology than the Pharisees did. And there was a, a good way off from them a herd of many swine feeding. So the devils besought him saying, if thou cast us out, suffer us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said unto them, go. And when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine and behold the whole herd. I believe it was Mark's account that tells us there was 2,000 of them. The whole herd of swine ran violently down a steep place into the sea and perished in the waters. And they that kept them fled and went their ways into the city and told everything and what was befallen to the possessed of the devils. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, notice this, this is very... Uh, Confusing in some ways, you'd think they'd be glad for that. But evidently they care more about their finances than they did about the persons, the people that were affected by the demonic beings. They besought him that he would depart out of their coast. Not everybody's thrilled about ministry. Yeah. Okay, so here's the uh, title this morning. The other side kind of ministry. The other side. The other side kind of ministry or the other side kind of discipleship. The other side. And I'm going to ask you this morning, which side of this discipleship are you on? Are you on the other side or the other side? <laughs> okay. So may God bless the reading of his word as you're seated. We're going to get right to it here today. The last time we were here in Matthew's account, we were considering how Jesus cared about the outcast. And he was the solution to their suffering. He loved them and he had the ability to help them. We saw that Jesus cared about lepers in a leper colony. People would live together because they were cut off because of their dreaded disease of leprosy. And nobody, I tell you, nobody wanted to touch a leper for sure. But Jesus touched him and he healed him. The Gentiles, in this case, a Roman centurion. I mean, uh, the Jews, they, they had little regard for Gentiles, period, especially those that would help Rome because of the Roman oppression upon Jerusalem. And so here was Jesus, though, that said he'd go to a Roman centurion's house. But the man said, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. Just speak the word. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. And that's what he did. Jesus didn't even have to be physically, bodily present to bring healing to the man. And the man's uh, servant was healed. And then uh, we read of uh, Peter's mother-in-law who was sick of a fever. And Jesus touched her. He took her hand and and she and he uh, raised her up and her fever immediately departed and she was made whole and she immediately began to serve. 
And so these were significant events, and it's wonderful that Jesus did that. And one man said that the physical removal of the virus or the bacteria would prove less significant, though, than the spiritual removal of man-made distinctions that ostracized certain kinds of people from the love of God. That was a bigger issue in the time, is that there are people that God loved that other people were not loving. And so when we follow Jesus' style of ministry, we love people that others don't love. The real focus, though, in the passage is on the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Because the one who is mighty in word, we just listened to his full-length version of preaching, uh, the one who is mighty in word is also the one who is mighty in deed. And he has power and ability. And so Matthew is uh, continuing to build that case. He's continuing to demonstrate. And so actually what we have here is a sequence of three more miracles that Jesus performs. One that we read here of the, the calming of the sea and then the calming of the, of the individuals that had uh, the demonic beings. And then actually the context goes into chapter number nine about a man who had palsy and, and uh, uh, lay sick of the palsy, not able to walk, and Jesus healed him. So we, we have a sequence of three again. So uh, previously, three healings. And again, remember this, Matthew is stacking this, not necessarily in chronological order, but he's stacking this in, uh, in, in ways of categories to show, look, he has power here. He has power here. And he has power here. This is the Messiah. That's his main point. He's pointing to them that he is indeed God. Another thing that's going on in the passage is that Jesus is making clear that to follow him will come at a very great cost. In fact, we're building up to our theme verses in Matthew chapter 9 that the Lord said, pray you therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. In chapter 10, he sends out the disciples uh, to do ministry on his behalf. So it's, it's describing for us though, the type of disciples that the Lord wants to have involved in his work. Okay. The kind of disciples. Um. Many admired Jesus and his teaching and admired his ability to heal. But admiration is not enough. He doesn't call you just to admire him, though we should. He calls you to really follow him. And that requires something of you. Um, there were people that that felt like his teaching were out, was outstanding. But they weren't ready to really let go of what was holding them back from being one of his genuine followers. I'm, um, I'm referencing the other side. Um, he said to these here, let us go, let us depart. That means leave. He gave the commandment to go into the other side, the other side. Now this is literally the other side of the Sea of Galilee, literally. So they would be going from Capernaum uh, area on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee and they're gonna go to the southeast side of the Sea of Galilee where it was predominantly Gentile. Okay, we'll come to that in just a moment. So he's leaving the west and going to the east and it's the other, the other side, the other side. Um, 
But I, I'd like to as well, and I believe the text itself is drawing that out. It's not just the other side geographically, but it's also the other side spiritually. And there are some of the disciples who were willing to go to the other side, and there are other of the disciples who, or we might say, would-be disciples who went to a certain point, but they didn't go to the other side. And even the ones that were in the boat to go to the other side were suddenly wishing that they were back on the other side. Are you following my sides? Okay. They wish they were back on the shore. All right, so I'd like to illustrate that here in just a moment, but I want you to understand that I, I think he's calling us to the other side. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to allow this area right here to, to represent uh, maybe where some would have an interest, um, an admiration, a regard for the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, his authority. Uh, they would recognize that he is perhaps even the Messiah. There would be you here today, I, I'm speaking to you today, uh, to ask you on which side of this are you to be found. And so uh, you would recognize his authority. You would recognize his person. Uh, now I, I want to take just a moment to say this. There may be some here today that you're not, you're not born again. You're not saved. You need to be saved. You don't know how much time you have on this earth. He came to seek and save that which was lost. He came to save you. He died on the cross for you. He loves you because you are a sinner and you're not able to save yourself. And so there may be somebody here today that needs to understand that he is who they said he is. He is who he said he is. He is none other than the promised Messiah. He's none other than God in flesh who came to die on your behalf. And you need to know that. And so if you're not saved today, that would be step one. All right, but our text is dealing with those that would be disciples. And I don't know the spiritual condition of two of the men that are mentioned here. We're going to deal with that. But, uh, but we, we're going to use that. He, it says here certain of his disciples. And he even says, it's interesting to me, that it said a certain scribe. A certain scribe came to Jesus and wanted to go with him. All right, so, but here we go. All right, you're still following along with me. All right, so we're going to let this represent one side of, of what it means to serve God. It would be a side that's interested. It's a, it would be a side that is uh, somewhat committed. Maybe we could say it's somebody that's attending church. Maybe it's somebody, maybe even that's a member of a church. Maybe it's somebody, uh, some of you here. I'm just going to speak pretty directly here to you today. Maybe you're here and you come on Sunday mornings. Maybe you come on Sunday mornings or only. Hey, thank God for that. We also have services on Sunday night and Wednesday night, all right? So you say, man, you're just trying to control people. No, not at all. We're just trying to help people and honor God because he wants us to assemble together. And it's not because we have to, it's because we get to. How are we doing, all right? So anyways, maybe you're right there. Maybe you're, you're attending every service, but you know, you're not really, I mean, you're not really, really his disciple just yet. You're interested. But you're not involved. I'm not just talking about ministry. I, I'm talking about, because I, let, me, let, me, let me say this. It could be you have a ton of ministry involvement, but you're still not his disciple. That's possible. Because sometimes what can happen to all of us is that we allow spiritual service to kind of soothe our conscience. 
Because we know we got sin in our life, but we ought to be serving God. And so maybe if I get involved in this ministry, this will make me feel better. Hey, wait a minute. That's not the reason to serve God. Are you listening to me here today? That, don't, that won't last. But if you're here to serve God because you love God, then that'll last. That'll take you through some tough times. Okay, so we're going to use this side here to represent uh, the, the Northwest. I realize that those of you that know where we are in the building that this is opposite, okay, but your brain probably works from left to right, so that's why I'm doing that. Sorry, choir. Um, but uh, you're, you're thinking this way, so we're going to make progress to the other side over here. And over here is the place of the Gadarenes or the Gergesenes as it is in Matthew. And this would be on that, on that uh, southeast side of the Sea of Galilee. And listen, it, it would be this. It would be an, an unreached people group area of the world. It would be... Uh, a Gentile, a predominantly Gentile area that's over here. Over here on the northwest side, it's, it's got a lot of Gentiles there too because it's north, it's north of Judea, it's, it's in that area of Galilee, Galilee of the Gentiles, all right? So there's a lot of Gentiles over there, non-Jews. By the way, in case you're a little confused right here, Jews, God chose the Jewish people uh, to bring the scriptures to us. He chose the Jewish people. I mean, there were Gentiles like Luke who wrote, but, but there, there largely was Jews. Jesus was a Jew. He was the Messiah and came to the Jews. But watch this. He didn't just come for the Jews. He came for the Gentiles, which encompasses most of us, non-Jews, all right? So over here, though, it was the Jewish people. Over here, it was largely Gentile people. We know that because over here, here's a herd of 2,000 swine. What's a bunch of Jews got to do with a bunch of pigs? Nothing. They don't eat pork. Now, I'm so glad, I know I've covered this before, but this is good preaching right here. I'm so glad that God told Peter, who was a Jew, Peter, rise and eat. And on the menu that day was bacon and sausage and pork. And, and so he said, right. And Peter said, not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything on that. Now, there's some things on that list I'm glad that were on that list and I'm not going to eat. But bacon is one of those that I will remain faithful to, right? Are you with me here? Is this making sense? Because you know what's really good with bacon? Bacon. Just bacon. Bacon and bacon. And so anyways, there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of bacon over here that went into the Sea of Galilee. And so that was a bummer. But, but here was... 2,000 swine, so I submit to you that either this is really liberal Jews who's raising hogs to make money on Gentiles, or it's Gentiles. I tend to think it's predominantly Gentiles that were over here, Jewish people kind of mixed in the munch as well, and we're, and we're going to meet the man, the, the demoniac, and actually two of them, that, that, I mean, they're out of their mind. The Bible says in, in Mark's account and in Luke's account that they did not wear clothing. They lived in the tombs. They cried out in the middle of the night. They were, they were the kind of people in society that you and I try to avoid. Yeah. I was... Uh, going on a run along Oklahoma River, and there was a man that was having a, a heated conversation with himself. And it looked like he was losing the conversation. I mean, to tell you, he was just mad at whoever it was. And I, I had to pass by the man. And I thought, mercy, I'm not sure exactly how this is going to go. And, and you know what I did? I actually, I just, I walked by him and said, hey, how's it going? He, and, and suddenly it's like the veil was lifted. He said, I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? <laughs> doing good, doing good. I don't know. I don't understand all that. 
But I know there's a lot of problems all of us have, right? I get an argument with myself. I just don't do it outwardly too often, right? Okay, so anyways, that's, that's kind of like that man is. I mean, it's these men are rather. I'm saying that man because Mark just points out one of them. Luke points out one of them. I mean, nobody could control these men. These men were bound. They, they put chains on them. They put, uh, put chains on them. He'd break the chains. He's up there in the tombs. I mean, he's not living in a house because here's why. Satan will rob your dignity. And Satan doesn't care about your life. He's up there cutting himself with the stones that are there and, and he's crying out in the middle of the night. He's just a wild man. He's so fierce that everybody wants to go around another way. That's what Matthew said. He's going, they're going around a different way because these people are exceeding fierce. This is dangerous. We're going to pass by a different way. But Jesus said to his disciples, listen, as you follow me, we're going to the other side. And I'll tell you, here's why. He knew that man was there. He knew those men were there and he wanted to reach them. They were an unreached people group. And he wanted his disciples to be involved in reaching the unreached, the untouchable of society. Will you follow me? The Bible says that a certain scribe came. A scribe. A scribe. Of all people, a scribe. Uh, one that, you know, well, it's right there with the Pharisees and Sadducees and so forth. But a scribe came to him and said, Lord... I will follow you whithersoever thou goest. Isn't that what he said? Something like that. Whithersoever. Whithersoever? Is that what it is, brother? Whithersoever? Yeah. I'll follow you wherever you go. Okay, so I'm going to illustrate that here. Give me just a moment. I think I can keep preaching while I get this set up. Um, I'll follow you wherever you want to go. Let me and put a Ray Gaddis tie on this real quick, okay? My dad taught me how to do all kinds of ties that will slip there we go. Okay. Good. I'm glad I remembered. <laughs> okay. He says, Lord, I'll, uh, I'll follow you anywhere you want me to go. Most of us would have said, uh, the taking aim tables out in the foyer, just sign up. And it's like somebody saying, I'll do whatever ministry you want me to. Gotcha. We're signing you up for this and this and this and this, right? But Jesus said this, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. In other words, he's saying this, what I'm calling you to will not be comfortable. You'll have to leave your security behind. I want to take you to the other side but you need to understand there's some nights when we're going to spend out in the open. It's not like Jesus didn't stay in a house. He did along the way. He did stay in a house along the way. But there was probably a lot of times they just spent the night out. Didn't have a house. That's what he's saying. You know, that kind of flies right in the face of charismatic theology that says it's about having big homes and everything. Jesus didn't. The scribe. I have in my mind that he's probably a wealthy individual. I'd say he probably had a pretty nice house. I mean, the Pharisees were rich. And the scribe probably was rich. And, and he's thinking, uh, you know, Lord, I'll go with you. I won't have a place to sleep. I'm out. He let his comfort determine the extent of his discipleship. 
you know, we can do the same thing. I want to encourage everybody to get involved in ministry here at Southwest Baptist Church today and just somehow serve the Lord. And maybe, maybe you ought to get involved in bus ministry. Oh man, sign me up. That's good. You got to be here on Saturday mornings. Oh, <laughs> hold that brother Ted. <laughs> Wish my dad had tied that one dog gone. Anyways. Okay. He tried to teach me. He really did. It's just the rope. That's what it is. But it's the rope. It's the rope. It's slippery. Can you be my anchor? Okay. In fact, this may work a little bit better because I thought about you just kind of giving me a tug when I was thinking about just kind of pull me back on that because, you know, I, I want to serve the Lord, but then there's <laughs> Saturday morning is my time to sleep in. I mean, and that's not that the bus ministry is for everybody. I'm not saying that. You understand what I'm saying, but maybe what if God touched your heart about that? You say, well, I'd like to serve God in the bus ministry, but man, it's just hard to get out of bed on Saturday morning because I stayed up so late on Friday night. How long do you visit? Mm, at least noon, we wait till the dinner bell goes off. That's the uh, tornado siren. <laughs> I'd like to do that, oh, but there's 11 o'clock games. <laughs> it's football season. Why don't you move the take a name Sunday to the spring? You see what we do? We, we, base, we base our service to God on our comfort. What he calls you to do, it, to get to the other side, to get to the other side, here's what you got to do. You got to let your comfort go. And say, so it, it may not be comfortable. It, it, may, it may not be popular. It may, it may make me feel uncomfortable to share Christ with others. It may make me feel uncomfortable to, to get involved in this ministry or that. Or it may make me feel uncomfortable at work as I take a stand for Christ and I'm not quiet about my faith anymore. Or, or I tell my family, I'm sorry, I can't watch that. I can't do that. I, I'm just saying, if you're going to be his disciple, I mean, like, not just a church attender, but somebody that is really taking what Jesus said and applying it to your life and applying who Jesus is to your life, if he really matters that much to you, then you're willing to let what is comfortable for you go so that you can follow him. Another would-be disciple came and said to Jesus, he said, uh, he said, he said to Jesus, uh, what did he say? Look at it if you would, please. Sorry, my mind is slipping. I'm too young for this to happen. Lord, I want to serve you. But let me bury my dad. Well, that, that's good. You know, I mean, he should care about his dad. In fact, in his day and time, uh, if your father passed away, which really ought to be our time as well, you ought to honor your father. And in their culture in particular, it was a major effort to prepare the body and everything else. And if you were the eldest son, especially, it's still this way in in uh, Middle Eastern culture that the, the oldest son has incredible responsibility. This would be among the Jews as well as among the, the uh, Muslims and other groups that, I mean, it is a huge deal for them to, to prepare their father for burial. Now, now here's, here's a point I think that we can make is that if this man's dad had just died, he wouldn't be there talking to Jesus at this time. He would have been back there tending to things and taking care of things. So Jesus sees right through this because Jesus, when he was dying on the cross, 
He said this to John, John, behold your mother. And he said to his mother, behold your son. In other words, as I'm dying, I want you to take care of my mom. So Jesus makes sure people are taken care of. So he's not being insensitive to this man's father and his situation. Here's what the man was doing though. He says, Lord, I really want to be your disciple. I really want to follow you, but I want to postpone that until I think it's the time to serve you. And his dad probably was in good health. And if he had his way about it, would probably keep on living a good long while. And yet his son is saying, you know, I really need to kind of hang back for a while and take care of my dad. In other words, here's what he was allowing. He was allowing his personal goals and his priorities to keep him from following the Lord. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead. Now there's speculation about what does that mean? Is that the spiritually dead, those that are unsaved, let them take care of that. We've got more important things in the sense of, not, not, that, not that that's a... Uh, in, in any way saying that physical death is not important. It is, but, but maybe it certainly is saying this. There are others that can take care of that. There's an urgent need now that we need to go tend to. I, I don't know all that's going on right there, but I do know this. Jesus was saying this. If you're going to be my disciple, then you cannot allow your priorities to keep you. You got me, Brother Ted. You, you, can't, you, can't keep, you cannot allow your priorities to keep you from serving me. God, I, I really want to be your disciple, but I, I also want to make a lot of money. God, I'd, I'd be your disciple, but I've, I'm, I'm involved in this career. And not, by the way, not that if you've got a job or a career that you can't serve the Lord. I'm not, say, I'm not saying that at all, but I'm saying you ought to serve God in your calling and know what God's calling is on your life. But it may be that, God, I'd serve you, but, God, I'd serve you, but, and we keep going with our hobbies and everything else, and we're not really being his disciple because we're actually more about our priorities. And I was listening to a book on leadership, and I'm forgetting that right now which book it was, but it said this, there was a time when the word priority only had a singular form. But now, it's a plural word. Priorities. Can I submit to you, if you are to be his disciple, that there's really only one priority in your life, and that is him. Amen. You've got to have a job. I get that. You're raising a family. I understand that. But don't let your family, don't let your hobby, don't let your job, don't let your priorities come in place of you saying, God, I'm willing to let it go so I can go to the other side. Now, two are out. Now it's just the 12, and they actually get into the boat. Okay, they get into the boat and they're on their way other, over to the other side. And here's what happens. A fierce storm comes on. The Bible says uh, in our text that it was uh, a great tempest. The word great tempest is interesting. It's the word from which we get our word uh, seismographed. Um, a seismic wave. In other words, tsunami. The same word here, tempest, is used in Matthew 24 about earthquakes. Okay? So what, what it is is that this was, this was of such a shaking and moving of the water that it literally felt like an earthquake. Or we might say a waterquake. 
I mean, the waves were mounting up and, and maybe they're in the trough there and another wave is here and the, and the water is coming in. And when they started, when they started, then the, everything was calm. Mark said there was other little ships indicating this. It was just a normal day. Jesus had been teaching all day about the spread of the gospel and taking the gospel to every, every people and sowing the seed. He talked about the mustard seed. And Mark said is on that same day that Jesus said, let us go to the other side. Here's what he's doing. He's saying, what I have taught you in this mission conference is what we need to put in practice now in our lives. And as they're on their way across the Sea of Galilee, which was about eight miles across, and, and it was about 150 or 170 feet below sea level, what would happen is the wind would come in and it would violently uh, cause a storm to be on the Sea of Galilee. And it was so fierce, it was so, so tempestuous, it was so bad that these seasoned uh, seamen, these seasoned fishermen woke up the carpenter. To say, will you help us? We're going to perish. We're going to die. Our lives are in jeopardy. But he's the one that told him go to the other side. Here's what's happening. They're doing what Jesus said, but they encounter a problem. And fear sets in and doubt sets in. And they're gripped in fear. And they were wishing, I guarantee it, they were wishing they could get back. They were wishing they could go to any shore at that point. I don't think that this was just a normal storm. Because Jesus said, uh, it says here that he rebuked the winds and the waves. In Mark chapter 1, he rebukes the demonic being that's inhabiting a man and calls him out. Here he rebukes an inanimate object in the night when you run into the table. You may feel like rebuking the coffee table because it hurts your shin, but it's an inanimate object and, it, and there's no need to really rebuke it. But here Jesus says, peace be still. He rebuked the, sea, the wind and the waves and the sea. Well, we know that there are storms that God sends. God prepared a storm that, that caused Jonah's boat to be rocked. There are storms that come because we live in a fallen world, which ultimately is tied to sin. Nature itself is in upheaval. But then there are other storms that God allows Satan to have a measure of responsibility in, as in Job chapter 1, when a storm came, a tornado basically came and took out the house of Job, and, or Job's children, rather, and his 10 children died in that storm. And Satan was involved in that. Now, please, I, I know, and I've mentioned this before, when you watch the news and you're watching News 9 and you see Val, Brother Val Castor chasing the next and latest storm, it's not necessarily satanically charged. But I believe because Jesus is saying we need to get to the other side because there's men over there that are, that are uh, uh, tormented by demonic beings and there's an unreached people group there that as they are trying to get to the other side, they encounter opposition, fierce opposition. I believe that comes from none other than Satan because Satan does not want the light of the gospel to get to the other side. And he opposes and he resists and he uses governments and he uses situations of life to keep us from going through the storm for the sake of the gospel. Lord, we perish. Hang on, wait a minute. Can I put pause right here? 
Everybody still doing all right? They left their comforts behind. They left their fishing businesses behind, their priorities. I mean, they're going to go back over there. I'm not saying they never go back to that. They'll go back and visit some of their families, et cetera, et cetera, all that. But, but by all practical purposes, beloved, here's what they did. They said, following him is important enough to leave my comfort behind and to leave my priorities behind and to leave people that I love behind. It's enough for me to do that because I love him. And here they are right in the middle of God's will. And a storm, I mean, a fierce storm comes on them. Sometimes we think, well, if I'm doing God's will, then no storms ought to come. Every day ought to be sunny. No, it's not that way, friend. But in the midst of that storm, Jesus arose and said, peace be still. And there was a great calm. Here's what happened. That was them dropping their fear. What manner of man is this that even the sea and the wind obey him? They had to leave fear behind to get to the other side to be his disciple. And then they come to this side and Jesus does what Jesus alone could do as he confronts those demonic beings and casts them, the legion of them, out of these men into the herd of swine, and they ran violently down into the sea and perished. And that man, oh, this is good right here. That man, the one Mark describes, he goes further in the story, and that man who was unclothed, the Bible says that he, after that, was seated, clothed and in his right mind. And then he said this, Lord, I want to go with you. And you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, I want you to do this. Go tell all your friends. Go tell all your family. Go publish in Decapolis the great things that God has done for you. And that's what that man did. He went everywhere. Can you imagine? Here's a man. And they all knew him. He was just that guy. Everybody knew him. And now here he is. Well, maybe they didn't recognize him because he was clothed. Maybe they didn't recognize him because maybe his hair was cut. Maybe he didn't re they didn't recognize him because he wasn't as dirty as he used to be. Hey, I'm telling you, when the, what society could not reform, Jesus was able to transform and made him a whole new man. And that man went everywhere telling everybody that he came. Hey, I met a man named Jesus and I was living up there in the tombs and I was cutting myself, but he loved me and he delivered me from the bondage that I'd been in, Luke said, for a long time. He changed my life and I just want to tell you about him. And he went everywhere telling everybody about that. And then if you keep reading in Mark's account, a little bit later on, you're going to have the feeding, of course, of the 5,000. That's on the north side, west side of the Sea of Galilee among the Jews, but then also you're going to have the feeding of the 4,000 on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, predominantly among the Gentiles, because he came to the Jew first, but also to the Gentile, and there's a group of people gathered here, and I don't know that this man gave every one of them a personal invitation to come and see this man, but I would imagine he had a measure of impact in Decapolis, just this one man whose life was greatly transformed, and so there's a big multitude that was here to eat a big old feast from Jesus. Amen. Why? 
because Jesus and his disciples that were truly, genuinely his disciples were willing to let go of their comfort, let go of their priorities, let go of their fears and get to the other side so that one soul among the unreached people groups could be saved. What's holding you back? What comfort is keeping you from really serving Christ? What priorities do you have to check with before you let go of whatever it is that's holding you back? Or what fear? What fear is it that's gripping your heart, that's keeping you from just being an all-out, genuine disciple? Because I'm afraid that every one of us, one more time, Brother Ted, every one of us get to a certain point, and then we get to another point, but then you get to another, and you think, I can't, no, don't say that. That's not right. It's not that I can't. It's that I won't. Today, he's calling you to let go of whatever or whoever it is. Mainly, when you trace it back, here's what you're going to find. It's me. He's calling you today to let go of whatever it is that's keeping you from serving him. So you could go to the other side. Let's stand together here this morning. <clears throat> Dear Father, I thank you today that you care about us, you care about the people of the world, and you want us to be your disciple, a true student in your class, a follower of your ways, one who holds your values, your convictions, who lives by your truth. We try to run from you, but I'm thankful, God, that you call to us. God, today I pray that you'd help those who are interested, those who assent to the fact, the truths of the gospel, that they might, dear God, with your help, not just mentally assent to these things, but that with their whole life, they might serve you. Holding nothing back, letting go of everything to follow you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we prepare invitation, if you need to come today, you've got need to let go of some things. I don't, I don't know what it might be in your life specifically, some security, something you're holding on to. I don't know what it might be for you, some fear, some doubt, but he calls you to let it go today to be his disciple.